0: Uh, call to be baptized, to follow Christ. What? What a better! Um, I can't think of a better lead-in to time in the Word of God than to observe. Um, you know, college kids, young adults, all the way down to a little boy named Jack. Whoops! <laughs> and I, I thought it was kind of effective how some of them were standing up high. You know, I mean, they're really sort of symbolically. Boldly standing for Christ. And, you know, let's all now, um, in concert with them standing up, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. There we go. Psalm 19 this morning is our passage. And this is a great passage to get us started for 2014, getting a fresh look at being committed to communing with Christ as he is revealed in creation and in the word of God. So Psalm 19, Uh, this is a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 2014, did you ever think that you would live the day to be in the Buck Rogers generation, right? I used to watch that show in the 80s and amazing things were happening in 2014, you're right? And they really are and it is amazing age to be a part of and in in the 21st century. Uh, But I'll tell you what, no matter how transient and how um, sort of exponentially different The world is around us, and as it's changing, the Word of God lasts forever. The Word of God is the standard. It is the staple. It is the enduring foundation for the Christian life. No matter how our world changes, no matter how our culture digresses, no matter how technology is different, no matter what is happening around you, no matter where you live, uh, I never thought I would be up here in Anchorage, Alaska, but this is where the Lord has planted me no matter where you are, the Word of God is your standard. It is the enduring foundation for your life. And I want to call this church, us, the people of God, here to be in the Bible in 2014. It's uh, very normal and natural, I think, to um, evaluate how you're doing spiritually when you come to january 1 that's wednesday this week Uh, it's something that i think it's is foolish to deny yourself of and to to miss out on evaluating yourself it would be foolish to just ignore the natural normal life rhythm where we kind of come to a place of examination if we just ignore that and sort of walk away from that moment that's foolish it's, uh, it's ignorant not to examine yourself. It's important to see where you are, not just in terms of your health, not just in terms of uh, your finances, but most importantly, in terms of where you are spiritually. You should ask yourself, how am I doing in terms of my relationship with Christ, my daily walk with Christ? And I guarantee you, if you take a moment and stop yourself out of your modernized, pragmatic, busy life and I'm the first to the altar here by the way. <laughs> it, you know, we we run and race and if you stop yourself out of that race and isolate in your mind, you sort of draw a circle around yourself and isolate in your mind the question, how is my relationship with Christ? You might come up a little bit discouraged. But I want to encourage you that no matter where you are in your walk with Christ or where you aren't yet in your walk with Christ, the Bible is here. God's love letter to your heart and into your life is here for you to read, for you to meditate on, for you to evaluate yourself with, for you to commune with the living Christ. It's here through the Bible. And I know that there are a lot of people who, when they get discouraged, will say, you know, I need to get zapped. I need some sort of Experience. I need some sort of mountaintop high experience to get back with the Lord. Well, I want to just encourage you that the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, wrote this book. And this book is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it was the same book that Jesus was quoting when he was tempted in the wilderness to get through satanic temptation. It's the same living book that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, was clinging to. It's the same book that's here for you as a follower of Christ for you to know him, for you to grow in him, for you to deny yourself by following the commands of scripture, for you to have victory over sin by understanding and living by this living book. Do you believe the Bible, brothers and sisters, that this is a powerful book? Amen? It is. It is. And I want to assure you that taking time, scheduling time, being deliberate with a Bible reading plan this year will be worth your while. Don't believe the satanic lie that you don't have time to be in the book. Because it's a temptation that we all face to ignore the scripture. Now, psalm 19 is a psalm we're going to take a couple weeks by, uh, going through. I, I tried to do it all in one fell swoop and uh that was an error i mean this this is chock full with encouragement regarding what we have in the scripture but the first six verses actually talk about god and how he has revealed himself to everyone in the world through nature so that's verses one through six and we're gonna look at that this morning god is speaking and for the believer he's speaking through the bible for believers and unbelievers, for all of us. He is constantly, every day, all the time, everywhere, speaking to us. And I have to ask you a question. Are you hearing the message? Are you getting the everyday, everywhere message from God? I had to evaluate myself as I read these words, verses one through six, am I getting the message from God that he is conveying every day, everywhere, all over the world through his creation? Am I listening? Are my ears on? Do I care that God made everything and that he's communicating himself through it? Or am I just a busy sort of modern, postmodern young adult that's trying to conquer the world and get things done. I mean, we're busy, 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 but are we stopping in our busyness to take note of the fact that God is speaking? And in verse verses one through six, he's speaking through creation. The old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Have we become so familiar with what we see around us that God has created that we're missing God altogether or we're even angry with God or ignoring God or things are really bad in terms of our relationship with God. Well, it's time to start over again. It's time to make this right with the Lord and to worship God as creator who is speaking through his creation. Here's the question. Are you listening? Are you listening to God? Because guess what? The Word of God says He's always speaking, every day, everywhere. Are you listening? And Psalm 19 is talking in two realms. It's talking through His speech or revelation that comes through creation, and then secondly, through the Word of God. We're not talking about an audible voice in this case in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We know that God has spoken audibly and people like Moses, Abraham, Noah, Adam, uh, people have heard the voice of God. The disciples heard the voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. The voice of God shook the world when Jesus was baptized. The voice of God was in the ears audibly of the Apostle Paul when he was struck down on the road to Damascus. But let me just tell you this. God is no less powerfully speaking as he speaks through the revelation of scripture and the revelation of God through the creation. God is speaking and he's speaking to hearts. God is not dead as philosophers will say. God is not sleeping. God is not passive. God is not ignoring you. God is actively, powerfully communicating to you. And the onus is on us to ask ourselves the question, do we care? Are we listening? That's the question that this text begs. Psalm 19 is not just a throwaway psalm. This is, uh, as all of Scripture is not to throw away, but Psalm 19 is a beautifully poetic psalm. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It's structured, as uh, Lewis uh, kind of put it together for us, is 1 through 6 is about nature, verses uh, 7, 7. Uh, And then the next five verses, rather, um, five verses are about the law. So six verses are about nature, five verses about the law, and then four verses, to close it off, will be about personal prayer. And again, this is David's psalm, a man after God's own heart. Now let's begin with verses one through six. We're going to talk about nature this morning. We're going to talk about God's general revelation. General revelation. It's different than God revealed through scripture, which is called special revelation. We'll talk about that next time. This week, we're talking about general revelation or God speaking himself, communicating his glory through creation, through what he has made. Look at verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God. Let's stop there. This has a a strong presupposition with it. Something that you pre-understand when you read this. And when you think about what God has created, it presumes that God exists, that he's real. There's a lot of people who deny the existence of God on a moral level, which is probably one of the most foundational levels that people think uh, people are denying God because they do not want to have the accountability of God. Now listen, the opposite of denying God is what these young people did. They confessed that God is real. People, people regularly and are continually contending with the fact that God is real. People, in fact, are in a state of denial as they look at creation, as they look at the design of this world and the way that it's all working together in concert with itself and is shouting the glory of God. People are hardening their hearts regularly and saying, you know, there isn't a real God. Um, you know, this, this just happened by mistake or accident, or we sort of evolved to this point in history. Isn't it so great that we aren't monkeys anymore? And, uh, and, and that's what the world does to crown itself as God, is to deny God. Well, this begins with the word, the heavens the words the heavens the heavens here are not talking about the afterlife or the heavenly dimension that we cannot see this is talking actually in terms of the creation that we do see and i think david uh, perhaps was not even talking in terms of the sun moon and stars as much as the heavens being uh, literally the hebrew word is the firmament which means the the, the dome-like view as we look up into the sky at the blue sky, the troposphere where you have, or the troposphere where you have the birds, you have creation, you have the clouds, you have the wind, the breeze. He, in essence, David is saying, the sky shouts to me the glory of God. The skies, as John Piper puts it, and I lean heavily on a lot that John Piper has written and uh, the sermons that he preached on this. I think he gets this maybe more than any other Christian uh, theologian and preacher out there right now. But the skies are shouting the glory of God to our hearts. And we do get wowed by The planets by the constellations, I was thinking about the fact that I was on a missions trip one time, a long time ago, 20 years ago, to New Zealand, and how we looked at the stars down from the lower southern hemisphere, and we're looking up, or out, we should say, and they were different constellations, ones that I didn't grow up memorizing or knowing about from the vantage point of New Zealand. And it's, it's inspiring to think about the glory of God in the galaxies, and how God's bigger than the galaxies, and how God exi- has always existed outside of the galaxies. And before all of this world around us that we can't even comprehend existed, there was only God. And then if you push it a little farther back in your mind and you go okay all right the creation it speaks of a creator who's outside of the creation and before the creation and has always existed and was God there alone and was he lonely and sort of at the the center of this darkness no there was only God before there was creation and God wasn't lonely it was the fullness of God that existed and he was perfectly satisfied within himself as the self-existent one. That is the God with whom you have to do. That is what the creation is shouting to us about. A creator that blows our minds. A creator that it's like overloading the circuit breakers, and we can't even really go there and stay there. Creator. But that's what the creation is meant to do for us. It's Declaring the glory of God. Do you see that in verse 1? In the Hebrew language, glory is kavod, and that means heaviness or weightiness or the magnificence of God. God is huge, He's beyond anything that we can fully grasp. And guess what? As we look at creation, as we look at the mountain peaks around us, as we look at one of my favorite things to do. I haven't done yet this year. Um, It's kind of wild, but to go to Beluga Point and to watch the crackling ice, you know, just kind of crackle next to the different bits of ice and move around. Isn't that amazing how you see the, you know, the tidal, um, the tidal dimensions going and the crackling popping of ice around us. It, It just exudes to us the God is powerful, that the God is behind that dynamic as you watch something like that, that just seems otherworldly and it pushes our minds and pushes our affections towards a God that's bigger than we are. And it's easy to pass over the Bible and to get out of healthy spiritual habits, isn't it? Well, I think in some ways it might even be easier to miss God as he's speaking regularly through creation. It's important to have a daily time with the Lord. It's important to always be thinking about God who has created everything around us, who holds everything together in the microsphere and who is behind and holding everything together in the macrosphere. He's huge, predates everything. Who's ever heard of, uh, you know, that great, Pagan theologian Carl Sagan, ever heard of him? Well, um, yeah, there was a show on PBS where he, it was called Chariots of the Gods, and he was sort of commenting on the new optimism, and I think this is still raining today. You know, they have different things on Mars now, and everybody's sort of looking, you know, is there life out there? And his comment made me feel sorry for him, because if you don't believe in God, but you're trying to look for other life that's out there, You come away empty and vacuous. And he on that show said, it's nice to think that there is someone out there that can help us. You know, it's sort of a sad thought because he's looking in the wrong realm. He's looking here for something else to help us when God is there in it. And he's lonely in his naturalism. In that comment, remember the cosmonaut, and I probably won't get the pronunciation right, Yuri Gagarin, somebody will come up and tell me how to say that later, but um, the first man in space, the cosmonaut who um, went around the planet, 108 minutes he was up there, and it was at the height of the Cold War, and this cosmonaut, Yuri, um, was proclaimed by the Soviet Union to have announced when he was out in space, quote, I went up to space, but I didn't encounter God. Now, there's all kinds of commentary as to whether or not he actually said those words or not, or where he was in terms of his own personal faith, but the sentiment is clear that, that people want to say, God isn't out there. I've been up there. He's not out there, but they don't understand that out there is creation, which begs that there is a creator. Let me ask you a question. Are you listening to his message about himself that glory is? is on display through the creation. Are you listening? To the everyday, everywhere, message from God. Well, the Lord not only exists, the Lord is creator. Look at this, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Listen, there's a lot that can be said about God. One of the greatest things that we can know about God, though, is that he is the creator And that there is a distinction between who he is and everything else that he made. It's the creature-creator distinction. There's a difference. We're made in the image of God. We like to create, but we create from things, things. God is the only being that created something out of nothing. Because that's what makes him God. And that's why it's important for us to... Be a witness to this creator. To stand for God as creator. Who spoke everything into existence from nothing. That's what makes God, God. That's, that's who we worship. And when people undercut God as creator, they're undercutting the God that we worship. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Remember the creator in the days of your youth, all kinds of skepticism, all kinds of science, all kinds of theory, all kinds of philosophy, wants to deny God as creator. 1 Peter 4.19, one of the greatest calming attributes of God through suffering is remembering that God is creator. 1 Peter 4.19, therefore let, us, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Turn your Bibles to Romans 1, Romans 1, verse 19. You need to see these words. These are important words, especially regarding evangelism. If you want to evangelize somebody who has no context for the Bible, one of the greatest things you can do for them is to talk about God as creator and how God is is revealing himself and has revealed himself through creation. And I'll tell you, I mean, people are in a state of denial, denying the reality that God created everything and that God is witnessing himself through the creation. I've been in many conversations where people have very limited Bible knowledge, but they understand this reality that they are on a pivot point between trusting in God as creator or denying it all. So that's sort of an in or out moment. It's a line in the sand moment where you can almost say, listen, have you ever grappled with the fact that, you know, there is a designer behind this design. There is a God who has created this creation. There is an artist and a painter behind this beautiful painting. There is an author who wrote this great book that we are living, beginning to end. Have you ever gone there with somebody because they're, they, they're made in the image of God. They've, according to Ecclesiastes, they've got eternity in their hearts. They're, they're denying it. They're searing their consciences. It's verse 18 of Romans 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's the truth here? The truth Paul is talking about here is the truth that God is creator. Look at this, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Do you see the intentionality here? I, I think sometimes we just breeze over this and don't really believe that the atheist really has had to seal off the truth reality that God's the creator in his or her mind. That the atheist is suppressing that truth, is putting it in a closet, shutting the door and holding it against themselves and not letting the true reality that God is creator is speaking to them. They're hardening their hearts saying no to something that is powerfully at work in their life. At least until they sear their consciences entirely. It says, again, it's plain. God, the teacher, is making it plain to people that he exists. This is how God is speaking to the world, to the nations. He's speaking through his creation. Even where there is not yet a gospel witness, God is witnessing to people around the world through his creation. And that, by the way, is why the whole world is accountable to this God. Look at this. It says, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Do you see that? Invisible attributes, God's self-existence, God's transcendence, God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence, God's authority, God's holiness, God's wrath, God's glory. It's defined through creation. I don't, I was uh, reading a quote um, by Lewis on the four loves and he said, you know, I, I don't know that I would have been able to define glory without creation. I don't know that I could have defined what it means to fear something unless I had peered over and peeked down into a massive crevasse. The creation explains God. It does. I think sometimes I have to blast myself into seeing sights of creation just to rekindle things. There was a, there's a Wheaton professor, Clyde Kilby, who, who spoke of this. He said, after a fresh snowfall or first buds of spring on Monday, um, that will fill us with delight and meaning. And then by Tuesday, we're ignoring it altogether. We don't want to ignore the message we want to hear the message well God's invisible attributes that's coming through his eternal power and divine nature clearly perceived have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made you see that creative effect so that they are without excuse well how does this work out where people are held accountable by creation but We know clearly from Scripture that it's the saving message of the gospel that brings people to faith in Christ. So how can they be condemned by not believing in the God who has created everything when they need to hear the gospel to believe? Well, God, I believe, is sovereign in all these things. And so as people are melting in their hearts to the awareness of who God is, guess what God does? He sends missionaries to come and preach the gospel and seal the deal. Faith comes by hearing And hearing the word of Christ. How shall they believe unless there are those who are sent? Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's why you send missionaries. That's why you send preachers. That's why worldwide gospel missions matter. If if people can be saved just by, you know, viewing the creation, then we, do, we need to call all the missionaries home. But instead, we believe in gospel ministry and gospel missions. And the fact that we believe in the sovereignty of God should comfort us to say, God is working all these things together. He's, he's softened the hearts of those who are, who are being called to believe from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And so we send the gospel heralds to connect with those softened hearts. As they hear the gospel, they believe, and it happens. The gospel is powerful. The gospel works. That's why we send people to preach the gospel. Listen, there are a lot of people who deny God's existence. They deny God as creator. And, you know, there's a lot of pagan religions that we can sometimes pick on and we can say, well, you know, they, they make God the sun or they, you know, they worship God as a pantheist. They believe God is the creation and they're so pagan. But there is a paganism of a more sophisticated ilk in our country, in our world, in our education system. I want to read from uh, uh, this book. It's called For the Love of God, it's written by D.A. Carson. One of my twins is named for this dude, um, D.A. Carson. He's one of my favorite theologians. And this book is the book of the month for January, a little infomercial. If you want to sort of get off go this year and read through a great meaty devotional daily and go through the scripture and read the New Testament twice this year and the Old Testament once this year, then follow me as we together go through this program January to December in 2014. This is what he says about Psalm 19. It says, Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2. But just as ancient peoples manufactured complex myths to explain the sun, the moon, and the stars, the shame of our culture is that we manufacture complex scientific myths to explain them as well. Of course, our knowledge of how things really are is more advanced and accurate than theirs. But our deep-seated philosophical commitment to the notion of random, purposeless, mindless, accidental, steady state, origination of everything is horribly perverse. Anything to avoid the far more obvious conclusion of a supremely intelligent God capable of spectacularly wonderful design. The evidence is there, the celestial host, poor forth speech night after night and display knowledge a lot of people out there that are denying God and doing it in sophisticated ways and it's our job as believers to resonate with the witness that God is giving us through creation and to resonate out loud to people that's evangelism well God is communicating. He's communicating every single day. Verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Pours out. It's, as James Montgomery Boys put it, it's uh, bubbling out. It's always happening. It's like a waterfall of God's messaging is happening in our world day to day and night to night, revealing this knowledge like a gushing spring to us. Again, I have to say, I... I don't always look around, I I know that, I remember one of, my wife and I, we went on an early um, date in upstate New York, and, you know, I was dating her, so I was looking at her, you know, and I, I wasn't looking at creation, I was I was interested in her, and so we were on this date, and we're walking through this nature trail where she grew up, and she took me to this sort of bubbling brook, and, and you know, it's... It, you know, the unicorn went by. No, just kidding. I mean, it was just this sort of moment of of beauty and and uh, rocky faces in in um, the northeast and moss and bugs and you know and and fish and things. And we're standing there, and and Judy got this sort of glow about her and began to smile and said, "What does this make you think of?" And I'm thinking, "You, I, you know, I I, I want to marry you." And what what? And she's going, "No, this is all about God. This is God speaking." And I'm thinking, "Wow." She wants to have a worship moment. And, uh, and that's, that's how we are to be as Christians. Filled with the Spirit, looking at things in the expanse around us and looking at microcosmic things and looking at bugs and looking at life and looking at animals and looking at people and, and experiencing God's joy and pleasure through creation. That's a great way to be happy if you're not happy is to turn your focus on what God has created and enjoying God through creation. So he's communicating every day. He's communicating without words. This can be confusing if you don't read this through more of a poetic lens, but um, look at verse three. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Well, the idea here is that, sort of as John Piper puts it, he says, God is talking to the world every day. He's using the medium of wordless words, speechless speech, voiceless voice through the sky. So it's God's speech through what we see. If you're not blind you you see the glory of God it's through we, what we hear through what we taste it's it's as we experience the breeze on our face and we feel the stabs of joy in our hearts as we see something that excites us So I am going to my oldest daughter about Christmas and it was just this sort of sweet conversation we were having about anticipating Christmas and and you know she's Getting older, and so it, it's not maybe as, as exciting as it is when you're six years old, but I, I was just talking to her about how I remember being six. I remember being in the back seat of the car on Christmas Eve and looking at the Christmas lights and feeling the stabs of joy in my heart and that anticipation of what I was going to be able to enjoy the next morning. That's something that we can have as a blessed gift in our hearts regularly and and should have as Christians who worship God who's the great gift giver James 1 it says that he is the father of lights raining down gifts from heaven to us the lights there are the stars James 1 the father of the stars he knows them all he's named them all and he gives them to us as a gift as a medium for us to worship God as he speaks without words that we hear You know, I I recognize things that are beautiful, even though sometimes I'm not a a sophisticated person, you know, with art or music. I sort of fell in love with listening to Bach when I study, but I loved Bach before I even knew it was Bach. I just thought it was Yo-Yo Ma playing something really cool, and it was Bach. You know, and behind Bach, and the reason I like Bach is that Bach is a genius, and so behind that music is genius. It's the same thing with the creation. <laughs> to the contrary, if you ever um, sort of waste your time and, and watch a reality show like uh, American Idol or something like that, and watch the auditions where someone gets up who obviously has never been musically trained obviously there's no genius behind his or her voice because that person is screeching not hitting the right notes and you sort of like wince at the tv it's great entertainment but it's not genius by contrast when you see a painting and you know i've been to some great museums where suddenly i'm standing in front of monet or 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 something else and and it's beautiful and I don't know why it's affecting me but it's affecting me because there is a designer behind the artwork that makes it glorious and that's what we have painted on the canvas of the world around us the terra firma around us the firmament as we look up and see the beauty of God speaking through it so God he's communicating every day without words he's communicating to everyone. Do you see that? Their voice, that literally is the, there is a line going across the expanse out there through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. One person put it this way. As created beings, we're all looking at the same moon. <laughs> we are. We might see it, you know, from a different vantage point up here. But, but basically... We're looking at the same moon. We're looking at the same moon that William Shakespeare looked at when he wrote Sonnets about that moon. We're looking at the same moon. And so there is a trans-geographical effect that David is pointing out here that everyone who's ever existed around the world is gazing upon God's creation. That's why we're all held accountable to this same God. And then he, he's moved in his own heart as he writes this poem and he's moved in a way that, that I think he's, he's sort of describing how we're supposed to be moved. And the only way he can describe how we're supposed to be moved in our hearts by creation is by writing it poetically, illustratively. Look at the end of verse 4 going into verses 5 and 6. This is God communicating through inspiration. He wants to inspire us. It says, in them, this is the communication. He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. There's three illustrations here. It's the idea that there's a tent and when the sun rises, as we perceive it rising, it's like a torch is coming out of the tent and then he broadens it to say and I, I he, he's saying I want you to resonate with the dawning of the sun as if you're remembering what it's like to be married on your wedding day and you're, you're coming out from your chamber in all of the anticipation of the rest of your life being wed to your spouse and the anticipation of the joys that you're going to have in that life. I guarantee you on your wedding day, you're probably not thinking about, you know, the difficult times that you're going to have, the suffering that you're going to have, the, you know, you vowed to stay together in sickness and in health, but you're not thinking about your spouse getting sick or you getting sick or, or you having a falling out or arguments. No, your heart is just on fire in terms of the joy of anticipation that you're going to experience being married. And that's what David is doing. David, you know, he's the king who's the man after God's own heart, who's written this psalm, who's, who's standing perhaps on, on Mount Zion, and he's watching the sun emerge, and, and he's, he's thinking there is joy and inspiration in this moment. And I've just got to say, shame on us in Alaska if we don't enjoy the sunsets around here and, and the rising of the sun. Psalm 113, it should be a worship experience every time we see the sun rising and setting. Psalm one thirteen three. from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. It's like winning a victory. This is the kind of third illustration found here, verse five. Like a strong man runs its course in joy. It's crossing the finish line. It's being thrilled in your heart to when well things shift a bit at the end of verse 6 and as is always the case when you explore the heights and depths of the glory of God you on one hand view God with great joy in terms of his magnificence and on the other hand there's a sense in which when you're in the awe-filled presence of God you just have to kind of bow in fear and trembling before who he is, right? There's joy in the presence of God and then there's great reverence and humility and humbling as we explore the heights and depths of the glory of God because the kavod, the glory, the weight of God is is wonderful and it's almost too much to take in. And it's always both if you look at the God of the Bible. He doesn't just become your buddy and your friend and and that's it. No, he's a a friend of yours as a Christian. But he is God, very God. And we have to give him his due. And the picture of the sun here is not only a picture of joy, but also a picture of accountability. God is communicating accountability. This is a pivot point in the poem. Verse 6 going to verse 7 is going to shift from creation to the word of God and how the word of God is sufficient. And the sense of accountability comes from God and it comes to us through the word of God. Look at verse 6 again. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, look, uh, C.S. Lewis was talking about this again in his book on the Psalms, and he was saying we're not talking about the kind of sun heat that we experience up here, and what he meant is in London or England, and and you know we would translate the same thing up here in the circumpolar, but but we're talking about sun that is piercing like this. That's what Lewis said. The sun is not mild in its heat, but the cloudless, blinding, tyrannous rays hammering the hills, searching every cranny. If you've ever been in desert hot heat, where it's not even survivable to stay out in it, you understand what David is talking about. We're talking about the sun that is, that is moving over the earth, as we perceive it to be. Searching every nook and cranny, every valley, every crack, every crevice of the earth and the world. And that is the picture of God's omniscience. Guess what? God sees in you in that way. Every nook and cranny of your heart. He knows everything about you. The searchlight of God's presence is upon us. And we have to recognize that we are accountable to him. That's what David is saying. This is part of God's message that he brings to the world, that he is holding the world accountable. Hey, it's one of the reasons why you should share the gospel. It's one of the reasons why you really are obligated by scripture, by God's command to say, God is the creator. God is real. God is the reason you are alive. God is the designer behind the design. And it is very dangerous and damnable to harden your heart to this reality. If you harden your heart to God as creator, you are headed to an eternity in hell. God is the one with whom we have to do it's the picture of God being all-knowing and everywhere again as I've been saying all along God is speaking are you listening listen creation is a sobering reality I uh, it's a beautiful reality at the same time and I just have to skip ahead um, just look at verses 12 and 13 this is what David said regarding the word of God Not only does the world keep us accountable, but the word has its searchlight effect on us. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. We want this accountability as believers. In the sense of who God is as he is communicating himself through creation but we also want the searchlight of the word of God in our hearts. Let me say this. Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Are you sort of flatlined in your worship as you go into 2014? Worship God, the God of creation. Don't worship the creation, but as part of the creation, join the chorus of worship. I'll never forget the idea of trees as they are extending up. They're a picture of people reaching their arms up to heaven in worship to God. We need to join that concert. We need to join that choir exalting God. You know, I, I had the privilege uh, a long time ago, 20 years, 20 some years ago of eating breakfast with John Piper. And it was, uh, it was just a kind of a fluke thing. I, I volunteered to drive him where he was speaking. And so we went to... Uh, I forget, Denny's, it's like I really took him to a hot, you know, place, hey, I'm going to honor you and bring you to Denny's, and so, you know, he is a a good sort of puritanical aesthetic, uh, ordered a bagel with cream cheese, that's all I want, just a bagel, you know, and so we sat there, and I was working in my seminary time uh, on a Christian biography assignment where I had to read a biography um, of a prayer warrior, and it was David Brainerd that I chose. And David Brainerd was a young um, missionary, young pioneering missionary um, in, on the East Coast. He was from Connecticut uh, and was one of nine siblings uh, raised on a farm. He had no interest in farming. He was very brilliant. And so he went to Yale and uh, during his time at Yale, uh, there was there was some liberalism even in the earliest days there. Whitfield would come through and he'd rally the students to love the Bible, and then you had some educators there who would point people away from the Bible, is so much so that uh, if you spoke against a professor using God's word, denigrating um, their belief system, you could be expelled. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what happened to David Brainerd. he Brainerd he 'd fit well up here in Alaska, right he just he just said it like it was, and he looked at the professor and and said, "Look, you are as dead spiritually as this chair." Later he had to apologize uh, he did apologize and but he was expelled out of out of Yale, so he went ultimately to be a missionary, he joined a group called the New Lights and uh, would Um, minister to the Indians, the Native Americans, and he would preach the gospel to them up and down the East Coast, down in Delaware. He wrote missionary biographies, uh, uh, a missionary biography that influenced um, the likes of William Carey, missionary to India, and also Jim Elliott. Um, These were the impetus for them going into mission missionary work. He was a contemporary with Jonathan Edwards and ultimately died at the age of 29 of tuberculosis. But I was sitting there with John Piper and I was trying to pull out, you know, can you incarnate David Brainerd to me and, you know, fire me up about this project? And he said, well, well, number one, he said, read the book, read the biography. I mean, just, yes, sir, you know. And then secondly, he said, the thing about David Brainerd is that he was this faithful, godly man who loved the Lord, but he, he missed out on God's ministry that he could have had to him because he was a very depressed man, and he missed out on God's glory and his message to his heart through creation. He missed it. I just never forgot. That's all he said about him, and I, and I thought, wow, I'm never going to forget that. Let's not forget that this morning as the Word of God has called us to worship God, the God of creation. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for time in your word. We have, uh, we have drunk deeply of your truth. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the baptisms that preceded time in the word. We know that, Lord, we're here because we've been transformed. We've been brought from death to life. And Lord, I pray that we would live in this eternal life that starts now in 2014. Lord, let us rejoice in you and glorify you as creator of all things. And thank you that you have created life in our souls. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not yet believed in you. Lord, if you have not yet said, let there be light in someone's heart who's in this room, I pray that you would call them to Jesus Christ. Lord, draw them to the Savior. Lord, let them see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let them irresistibly see that Christ is more glorious than anything this world has to offer. As glorious as your creation is, you are more glorious, you are more satisfying than anything this world can offer. And I pray that you would call and draw people to yourself, seal them with your Holy Spirit in belief, in faith, believing that Jesus is the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for all of their sins. Let them repent and believe and follow you as Lord this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, thank you for uh, time together on this uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve service. And... uh uh, may we all rejoice as we pray in the new year together. I just want to say a final word uh, to those of you who are new, guests, or um, inquiring about um, anything regarding our church. I want to meet you in a few moments in the Connect Center. I'm going to scurry back there um, at, right after the service. Love to meet you, greet you, shake your hand. There are places for your kids to be if you have them and food to eat and things like that. Um, we'll give you a free book and anything you need if you need to be baptized, um, you know. Why don't you be bold and bless the congregation and bless God by um, following the Lord in believers' baptism. we love to keep the waters stirred here um, and keep baptizing um, new believers and believers who've been in the faith a long time. So talk to me about baptism if you want to become a member of the church. We would love to um, formally recognize your membership um, at Anchorage Grace Church. So come see me, talk to me about anything I'm back there in a few moments. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, thank you uh, again for this time together. Lord, let us go in the grace and knowledge of the gospel as we live um, the gospel out in front of a, a world that's watching how we live and what we love. Let us love Jesus Christ more than anything and put him on display as we live our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.